Well, uh, good morning. Good morning. My name is Amber, and I am one of the pastors here at Covenant, uh, Hope Covenant Church. And we just sang the war- words, Lord, I need you. And today we're going to talk about sex. So, Lord, I need you right now. Oh, yeah. Aren't you glad you're here today? Yes. Yes. No. Um, It is so good to be together today. If you are just joining us, we are in a message series we've entitled Guardrails. And uh, for the sake of review, a little bit of review, a guardrail is a system. We don't typically think of it as a system, but it is a system designed to keep vehicles from straying into dangerous or off-limit areas. And a guardrail is designed to do two things. It's designed to direct us and to protect us. And a guardrail is never actually placed in the danger zone. A guardrail is placed right inside the safety zone to help us um, to avoid going into the danger zone. And nobody argues with the logic about putting a guardrail in the safety zone of our vehicles. The other thing about a guardrail, it is designed to specifically uh, minimize damage. So if you drift into a guardrail, the damage done to your vehicle would be less than if the guardrail were not there. Imagine it being on a bridge or a mountain. We want guardrails there to protect us. Now the reason we've called this series guardrails is because the highway is not the only place where guardrails are needed. Our greatest regrets, I bet for most of us, our greatest regrets would have and could have been avoided if we had some financial guardrails, some relational guardrails, some moral guardrails, some academic guardrails, and maybe even some professional guardrails. And when we talk about guardrails in this context, it's basically a a personal rule, a, a, a kind of personal law, something that I decide for me, that um, I don't decide for you. I don't get I don't get to tell you what your guardrails are, but a guardrail is something that I establish for myself that essentially is a standard of behavior that becomes a matter of conscience. It's a standard of behavior that becomes a matter of conscience. I decide for me financially, professionally, when it comes to my friends and my neighbors and my relationships, for my marriage, for me personally, I have a certain standard that I want to live by. And when I begin to drift toward the edge drift toward the danger zone, it lights up my conscience. In fact, that's the point of the guardrail. It is designed to make us feel a little bit uneasy early. That's what a guardrail is. And the thing is, and the thing that makes it so hard to establish guardrails is because the culture that we live in does not like guardrails. They do not encourage us to have guardrails. Um, They would prefer that we live by painted lines. We talked about that last week. And it's especially true we are going to talk about today on the topic of moral guardrails or sex. Next week we're going to talk about friends and our associates. Today we're going to talk about friends with benefits. (laughs) Uh, I can't believe I'm doing this. Okay, so... Uh, So today I'm going to talk about moral guardrails. And I want to talk about guarding your marriage. If you're single, uh, you're a student, I want to talk about your future marriage. And I want to talk about protecting ourselves from other people's marriages, from married people. 
Um, the best word to describe this whole topic is the word fidelity, and it comes from a Latin word that means faithful or loyal. And nowhere in our culture, nowhere um, does culture do a better job in baiting us toward the, towards the edge of this and then chastising us and shaming us when we go over the edge. When it comes to moral boundaries or fidelity or faithfulness to our husbands or our wives or fiancés or whoever, it baits us to the edge and then shames us when we go over. See, the problem is, and it's so hypocritical because the truth is, and if you're all being honest, don't nudge the person next to you, but let's just be honest here. Um, We all engage in this. We entertain ourselves with, with this, uh, this painted line. We, we watch movies about infidelity. We listen to songs. We um, go to certain websites. We, it, it, we're, we're surrounded by everything in our culture tells us that this is okay to dance on this. And then we just shame people and we oust them when they cross the line. It's a part of most of the themes or the movies you binge watch on Netflix. Think about it. Think about it. And then, when, then we're just disgusted. Oh, I can't believe your wife would do that, your husband would do that. But we haven't set up anything to help protect them. So that's why I said this is the area, the one area in our culture that does more to bait us towards the edge than to help us. Now, here's the thing. I, this might be unrealistic, but I think so much of our problems, so much that we see of the hurt and the pain and the destruction of this world could be avoided if we could establish some moral guardrails. Would you agree? If you're new to church, or this is your first Sunday here, or you're new to this church, aren't you glad you're here? <laughs> Talking about sex. And I'm a child of the 80s and 90s, so I always go to salt and pepper, but I'm not going to sing that up here this morning. <laughs> um, but imagine, uh, if everything that I've said so far, based on your experience, wouldn't it be amazing if we could just get this right? If you were God, you're not, just so you know. If you were God... And you were going to inspire someone to write on this topic. What would you inspire them to say? Would you give them a painted line? Uh, Go for it. Have a good time. Ask the question, how far is too far? Wait until you're ready. Drink responsibly. Or do you think God would establish a few guardrails? If you were going to give the world a message as it relates to sexuality and sex, what do you think God would say? What do you think God, the God who sent his only son to earth to show you, to invite you into a life-giving, loving, I want the best for you relationship father would say? We don't have to guess because he did say The Apostle Paul wrote over 2,000 years ago. um, He was planting little churches all around the Mediterranean, and he writes to this church in Corinth. And he'd already been there visiting a couple times, and he shared with them a bunch of information, and he's taught them everything um, when he was with them. But then he writes them a letter after he's gone. And it says this. It says, flee from sexual immorality. Flee from sexual immorality. And before we get too far, I just want you to know, this is what every husband wants to say to his wife. This is what every wife wants to say to her husband. This is what every big brother wants to say to his little sister. What every sister wants to say to her brother, niece, nephew, grandparent. This is what we want to say because we know how damaging it can be. So he says, um, anybody who loves in this area of 
of moral guardrails, be very, very, very careful. And he says, I want you to flee from it. But in our culture, in the world we live in, we are more content to flirt with this, right? He says, flee from, but we are so tempted to flirt with, and we become hypocrites, right? It's just the nature of it. We step off, we feel shame. When others step off, we condemn them. And so the Apostle Paul um, is just phenomenal. And um, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, you know, he's, if you can imagine, he's saying, flee from sexual immorality. And I just want to stop for a second because sex is a good thing. God created sex. At one point, the world was created, and then there was man, and then a woman, and then guess what? They had sex. Like, God created it. It's his idea. It's awesome. But there's a purpose, right? There's a reason for this. And God had designed us for sex. We are sexual beings. All, all kinds of, man, I'm just like, I'm a musician, so I think of like, like I want to sing some music right now, but I'm not going to. <laughs> I'm an I'm a eighth grade boy inside. Um, I do. It's okay. I, too many years in youth ministry. But anyway, here's what he's saying about uh, sexual immorality. And so I want to move on. He says, um, flee from sexual immorality, all other sins. And I'm going to stop there and there because I want you to notice what Paul does. He puts sexual sin in a completely different category. Notice that. It says, flee from sexual immorality, all other sins. Let me be clear about this. Um, before, we go, before we go any further, if you have been worshiping with us at Hope Covenant Church or you have been here any length of time and you know me, I pray you know my heart and you know that one of my core values in my life is, is no guilt. And, and this place, one of the core values of this place is no guilt. And so I'm standing here to you today to say this is not about guilt because God loves you. There is nothing in this entire world you could ever do or that you have ever done that God does not forgive you for. And I want to say that right here because I am standing here as someone who is free from guilt because of that truth. So there is no guilt. There's no guilt, no guilt, no guilt. You hear me? Can I hear an amen? amen. If you walk away from here feeling guilty, that's on you. <laughs> Because that is not me, because you are forgiven. Now, here's the truth of this, and we know if we've wrestled in this area, you are forgiven, but you are not free from the consequence of your decisions, right? There's something about sexual sin that sticks with us. And students in this room, if you've been there, you know, but take yourself 10, 20 years down the road, and you know, you know, you don't forget it. It never leaves you. It never leaves you. And so here's, here's the thing. I can speak about this because um, I have things that I wish I would have had guardrails on in this area. I am not sharing those this morning with you, by the way. Um, but, but, it's, but it's true. Sexual sin, it's like anything else. We're so easy. Uh, we can admit our past bankruptcy, maybe. We can, we can admit, admit maybe a DUI or a, or a time we got arrested. Or um, These are not examples from my life. But um, there are uh, things, maybe a time we dealt with drugs. Or, I mean, there's all kinds of things. But when it comes to sexual sin... That is an area in our life where we can tend to be maybe be a secret keeper. I might not tell you exactly where I have crossed the line because I'm afraid you will judge me in a totally different way, and I don't feel free to do that. And so the Apostle Paul knew this over 2,000 years ago. He said, look, this is not unforgivable. 
This has nothing to do with God accepting you or loving you. I'm just telling you the consequences of sin in this particular area are different than every other area in your life. It's not a forgiveness issue. It's just the nature of sexuality. And so let's go on. He says, flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a person commits are outside their body, but the person who sins sexually sins against their own body. Now, what does sin sexually mean? I mean, if you're new to church or you don't, um, don't know if you like church or somebody's making you come to church and you're here, um, uh, uh, sin is always defined by hurting someone, uh, stealing from them, dishonoring another person. In the New Testament, if you were to read it, you could check it out. You find that any time a person takes from another person, defrauds another person, dishonors another person, steals, hurts, that's considered sin. And here's why. Because every single person you ever have the potential to hurt is loved by God. Every person. And sexual sin is any time you do something to potentially hurt another person because God loves the people that you potentially hurt, and God loves you. God doesn't want you to hurt you either. And when you take advantage of this extraordinary gift that God designed for an exclusive, one-of-a-kind covenant relationship with another person, and you divvy it up a bunch of, with, with other people, you not only hurt other people, you hurt you. That's what sexual sin is. And again, it has no, nothing to do with God's low tolerance for pain or um, being against sex. It has everything to do with how much God loves you and honors you and cherishes you as a beloved child of his. And he feels the same about the person next to you, the person you work with, your kids and all that. And that's why it's a big deal. So it says, whoever sins sexually actually sins against their own body. And he says, when you don't, when Paul says, basically, when you, when you uh, sin sexually, you not only steal from the other person, you hurt and betray yourself. It's a whole different thing. And then he's writing to this group, and, and he'll, he'll go on here in just a minute, and he's, he's thinking, maybe they, maybe they forgot what I'm talking about, because he's feeling a need to go back and write this. And, and then he's writing this letter also because people have come since he's been there, and he hasn't been able to tell them himself. So he says this. He says, do you not know? Maybe there's something no, no one's ever told you. And, and, and here he says, this is what I want to tell you. He said, this is why it's so powerful. He says, it's, it, there's a much greater reason why you need to flee from sexual immorality. And here's what he says. He says, don't you know that your bodies, your physical bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you and whom you have received from God? And now if you notice here, Paul moves from consequences of this to our identity. It's interesting. He says, do you not know what you are? You're a temple. Now, for us, temples maybe not a big deal. Maybe you've only visited one in, in the past, but temples were sacred. And in, in our culture, nothing's sacred anymore. But he says, you are sacred. In fact, you are more sacred than the most sacred of places because then in ancient times, the temple was the holy of holies, like it was the most sacred place ever. And now he's saying, you are the temple. You are the most sacred place because the Holy Spirit of God dwells in you. It's not a building. It's in you, and you are valuable. <clears throat> You are a sacred image bearer. You didn't just happen. You were intentionally designed for fine-tuned intimacy with another human being. 
And here's what we know is true. We know that the value of a container is determined by what's it, what it contains. The value of a container is determined by what it contains. So, so like, you can steal my purse. I don't care about my purse. It's what's inside the purse that matters, right? I mean, I care what's in it. There's not a lot in it, but I, I do. I do care. But your, your Heavenly Father says you contain the image of God. You are extraordinarily valuable. And so is every single person that you are eyeball to eyeball with. And then he says, and then he goes on to say, you are not your own. And some of us might be like, I am too. You don't own me, you know. I'm a free agent. It's my body. I can do whatever I want to with it. And Paul says, no, you're not your own. And be glad you're not your own because the other thing, ownership also determines value. The thing that contains the, the stuff in it is valuable, but it's also the person who owns it that's valuable. I heard a story in, in 2014. There was a guitar. Maybe musicians will know. A, what's it called? A Stratocaster? Stratocaster? Is that how I say it? Sold, uh, it's worth about $1,800. 2014 is worth $1,800, and it sold for $45,000. Why did it sell for $45,000? Anyone know? Huh? Eric Clapton owned it. His signature's on that for you youngsters in here. Very, very magnificent musician. But yeah, his, the value skyrocketed because Eric Clapton owned the guitar, right? And he's saying it's so powerful. He says, you are owned by your father in heaven, which gives you extraordinary value. And you are purchased with a price. And how much? How much? You can, you can put a price tag on anything you want, but Paul says the essence of the gospel is that God sent his son Jesus to purchase you and me for a price. And guess what? There's, you can put no tag on your life, no price tag on your life, because you are priceless. You are valuable. And he says in light of sexual sin, in light of your extraordinary value, you are fine-tuned for intimacy. And he says, honor God with your bodies. And this is the, the New Testament sexual ethic. Honor God with your bodies. Honor the bodies of others around you because they are also valuable to your Father in heaven. And it's why it's a big deal and it's not just a consequence. We know the consequence because any of us who believe that there is a God in heaven believe that every single person bears the image of God. Every person. And not every person we just come in physical contact with. And I think it would be um, a mistake to not address the fact that the internet plays a huge role in our sexual intimacy these days. So everything you see on the internet, everything you engage with through social media, through pornography, through websites, has the potential to damage your future intimacy. Every person you see bears the image of God, whether you can touch them or not. And that is where Satan has gotten in, in big, big, and powerful ways. And Paul's saying, don't you know they are also image bearers of God? So fleeing from sexual immorality requires guardrails. And it just doesn't happen because everything in our culture draws us to it. So for the next couple minutes, I'm going to just throw out a couple ideas uh, for ways to establish some moral guardrails. And again, this is for you to decide in your life, in your relationships, but I'm going to throw out some ideas here. And, and, and also, let me say, if this is making you mad or really uncomfortable, what I'm talking about today, I'm sorry. Not sorry, but sorry. And what I would encourage you to do is just stick with me till the end. And if you don't like what I say, go home and come with your own. Just, but do something 
and address it because know that you don't just drift into the kind of person you want to be. You drift into places you don't want to go. So, so why not take, take it, you know, take control of this, set some guardrails up. So um, in a minute, I'm going to call John up and we're going to share a story. Um, but first I want to say, uh, first guardrail is uh, talk about it. Talk about it. Um, if you're married or you're engaged, you're in a relationship, dating someone in a serious relationship, you need to talk about it. Decide together what is appropriate for you. In the office, if you work in a place where there are men and women who work together, um, talk about it. Maybe avoid traveling with potentially dangerous people, potentially problematic people. And you might be thinking, Who's, who, would, who would those problematic people be? And I think you already know. You know. You know who they are. Because you know when you get in the office, you tend to want to go to the left when you should go to the right. Or... Um, Someone who might draw you in a little bit closer, that's a problematic person. And you need to say, you know what, this person kind of gets to me and I know it, and so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to decide what those guardrails are. And then when you discover that there is somebody that is potentially problematic, you should probably talk to your spouse, your partner about it, tell them about it. If you ever feel the need to keep a secret, that should be a guardrail that dings your conscience. If you're ever feeling like, I don't quite want to tell you where I've been or who I've been with, maybe you haven't even done anything wrong, but you just kind of feel like maybe I shouldn't tell that, that piece of it, that should light up your conscience. It's a guardrail. So tell them about it. And students, singles, if, if um, this is an area, uh, to find a friend, find someone you can trust with your uh, trust this with, and have conversations. Accountability is really, really helpful. Don't get involved in counseling-type relationships with a member of the opposite sex. If there's someone who is constantly in need of you and your attention, um, if you're not a counselor, don't counsel them. You're probably not even giving good advice anyway, right? I mean, if they're coming to you, how about you help find them someone who can help them work through this, but it might not need to be you. And it is better to do that than to go crashing off the edge and making a bad decision. I'm going to ask John to come up, and um, we are going to share a story in our lives of a... Uh, um, <laughs> why are you laughing? I'm smiling. I know. <laughs> Smiling's your favorite. Smiling's my favorite. Um, but yeah, we're going to share a little story of... Uh, we've been married for 17 years. Go ahead and say it. Seven, see what I'm with? 17 years. And uh, yeah, so John, will you share a little bit on the story? We're gonna, we didn't really practice this, but we've told the story before, so we'll see how it goes. Yeah, so just totally unrehearsed. Yep. So uh, as you know, I mean, you've heard me preach. I'm a very wise person, right? Can I get an amen on that? Yeah. Um, but I'm also really naive. You know, I kind of assume the best in people, um, which I think is a good thing. But um, I think when you assume the best, sometimes you lack guardrails. And there was a situation, uh, long before I got into uh, full-time ministry, uh, my full-time job, I was an executive recruiter in the healthcare industry, and, uh, and I was one of the senior recruiters in the office, doing well, seen as the leader, and uh, we hired a new employee. And she was coming from Fort Lauderdale up to Melbourne, where we live, uh, which is about two hours north, and uh, she was from Melbourne. Um, she was moving back because um, she was moving in with her parents. She had kind of gotten into a bad situation. Um, we were contemporaries. We were about the same age, um, but she um, um, had a great time one night, party a little too hard, um, met up with a guy, ended up getting pregnant out of wedlock, and then 
um, had a baby. And so she was moving back home because her parents were going to help support her while she was getting back on her feet, which is a really good thing. You know, uh, it's great to have a support system, a healthy support system. But she spent several years in executive search in the healthcare industry too. And so she joined our firm and, uh, and she started working. And, um, and um, she's a very pretty girl, um, blonde hair and blue eyes and um, careful. Yeah, I know. Just kidding. I was kidding. Um, but, but like really talented recruiter as well. Um, but she was, and, and I had been serving in ministry on a volunteer basis for many years. And, and, and I knew that I was kind of heading in this direction of going into ministry. And so I was a very easy person for her to talk to. And she was also a very easy person for me to counsel because I really had a good heart. And I knew that this person was in a uh, very difficult position in life being a new mom, without a husband, living with her parents. Um, there's, you know, some dynamics that go along with that. So, um, so I, I just find myself, like, you know, talking to her, and she sought me out. Uh, she clearly saw me as a wise person, as I know all of you do. And She was definitely drawn to his wisdom. Yes. Well, it wasn't my hair. It wasn't my hair. But... Um, but anyways, so, um, but Amber's like, John, you know, you really need to be careful. And, and I'm like, what? No, this person, I mean, she just needs help. She doesn't have anybody to turn to, nobody her age, moving back, living with her parents. She's the, she the damsel in distress. She was definitely the damsel in distress. And I think that I am being, um, you know, pastoral, a counselor, giving her uh, good advice, all that stuff. And Amber's like, John, but like, this isn't good. You, you know, you're missing some things. Uh, you're, you're drifting into a danger zone. And, and I just didn't see it. Well, uh, uh, fast forward a couple of years. She ends up meeting a really good guy. Wait, hold on, hold on. What? Yeah, this is why we should rehearse. So there was a point. Hold on, you're, you're there, but hold on. I know. So Go. there was one morning that um, we were getting ready. It was 7 o'clock in the morning, and we were getting ready for work, and his phone, call, his phone rang. And uh, he takes the call, and she's in distress. And I'm brushing my teeth, and I'm like, who is he talking to? And it's... It's her. And I'm like, oh. And so they hung up. So you were going to skip this part, I think. Yeah, I, I yeah. forgot this part. So I think this is like, this is. Conveniently. I know, but this is the part where this was, we had, so the guardrails that were set up in John's life is he had been meeting in a group with three other guys, and they had been meeting together in, in study and in prayer and encouraging one another. And so when she called that, that was like the final straw. She'd called several times, and they'd, they'd been working through this. And so I said, this isn't okay. And he was like, what? And I said, you need to talk to your guys. I'm not being this crazy, jealous wife. I really think you need to talk to your guys. And he was like, okay, I'll talk to my guys. Because I, it wasn't, I talked to him about it, but there was just something he needed to hear it from, from somewhere else. And so that was. Yeah. So, um, so I brought it to my guys, my men's group that I was a part of. There was me and three other guys, and we were very tight-knit uh, in ministry together. And uh, I said, guys, here's the situation. And I explained the whole situation. I said, and Amber thinks that I need to, you know, better boundaries, need some guardrails. Like, I'm not sure I do. What do you guys think? And each guy in the group was like, whoa. <laughs> Your wife is right. You need some guardrails. And I went, oh. <laughs> like, maybe I do. And so started to set up some healthy guardrails. And, um, and, and then... Fast forward a couple years later, uh, I was in seminary, and so I wasn't working at that firm anymore. And, and uh, part of the, um, one of the ways that I developed some income, got some income, 
uh, while I was in seminary full-time was I was a wedding officiant. I um, did wedding ceremonies for people. And so she knew that. And she said, so I you know, met a guy, great dude. Uh, we're going to get married. I'm like, that's so great. Would you? And she said, would you do the wedding? And Amber again is like, uh, 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 you know, but I said, sure, I'll do the wedding. And, and I said, I'm coming with you. Yeah. And so, so I do the wedding ceremony and she didn't like, you know, kiss me instead of him, you know. When no, I but said, she I, did like spell my name wrong on my place setting. It's like, uh, gotcha. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but but here, here's the thing that was really crazy. And here's what drove it home. Okay. It's so good. So, so after the wedding ceremony, uh, we're at the reception and, um, and, and I knew her parents and her parents had said, you know, oh, we're, you know, really glad that. You know, she has somebody like you to lean on and, and, and to talk to and all that other stuff. But then um, her grandmother came up and, and her mom was there. And was it her mo- grandma or her mom? It was her grandma. Her grandmother. Her grandmother. She, she goes, you know, you were the kind of guy that we wish she married. And I went, oh. <laughs> so, I, I mean, clearly I had missed the whole thing. And I just assumed the best. But I'm, I, it, it became clear to me that she'd been going home talking to her family about me, and it was me, like the kind of guy that I was and still am, I think, um, where, like, you know, her parents, th- th- I was the guy that they wanted their daughter to marry. And, and that's when I was like, I see now. And, but it took, Amber pointed it out to me. It took my guys pointing it out to me. And then it took Grandma pointing it out to me. <laughs> Before I went, oh, okay, step back. So, so the, you know, and, and, and Amber and I, we, I mean, we we're driving home from the wedding, and I'm like, you're smart, I'm not. You're right, I'm wrong. Honey, yes. But we're all good. She was, she was attracted to your wisdom. <laughs> Sweetie, love you. Am I done? You're done. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> well, <clears throat> you know, so it's, it's really, it's, a, you know, finding your, you know, in a married covenant relationship, talk with your spouse, talk about it before it happens, talk about it when it's about to happen. And honestly, there might be times where it, it you don't, maybe you don't want to tell them because you're scared and it's a little too you're too, it's too close, it's too raw, tell someone. We need each other, and this is the whole point of this community thing that we do as a church, is to talk to someone about it, because the point of a guardrail is to light up our conscience before we hurt ourselves or hurt other people. And so we set these things in place. So whatever that is for you, if you're single, it's finding a friend or two or three of people that you can come around and say, okay, I'm feeling something, something's going on. Or, hey, I I found that every time that I am alone, I am tempted to go to this website and I'm tempted to do these things and I, I need someone to hold me accountable. Ask me, approach me, help me out here. Now, if this all seems extreme, if you're sitting here going, I did not come to church today to talk about sex. You know, I, I, I believe that dangerous environments cause, are, are cause for extreme measures. And let me ask you this, and, I, and I'm going to close here in just a minute. Um, <clears throat> married couples in the room, married couples in the room, engaged couple, people in long, 
term relationships, I want to ask you, what is there in our culture that is equipping you and supporting you when it comes to remaining faithful in your marriage? What do you have access to that is supporting you in being faithful in your marriage? What? Is there anything? I mean, aside from attempting to read self-help books, this is the church. This is what we do. This is the church. And singles, um, same question. What encourages you, equips you to live responsibly in your sexuality? What is it? Other than the church, I, I don't know. Now, I will say that the um, Pregnancy and Family Resource Center in town is hosting, they're doing Wednesday night classes and they're talking about sexuality and they're talking about abstinence or some good things happening there. If you haven't heard about that, I would look into that. Um, but as a church, this is what we do. We have to talk about it here. And I promise you, and you can, you can tell me, yeah, I know you know I'm right, you can look back in five years and you will not regret establishing guardrails. You'll regret it if you don't. Students, trust me. (laughs) Establishing those guardrails now, five years, you will not regret it. The culture will not celebrate you and think you're the coolest person ever, but I'm telling you at the end of the day, when it all comes down to it, you have to look in the mirror and you'll get to sit with Jesus one day and you won't regret it. I'm going to, um, we're going to keep in this, in this moment, and I, I know and I recognize that when we talk about sex, because it is in a category on its own, because many of us have really made mistakes in this area, it can uh, potentially cause us uh, discomfort, um, can cause pain, and so we are going to give a minute to just sit with this. Um, the band is going to come, actually, uh, Eric and uh, Troy are going to come up and play some music for us. We are going to use this time to uh, collect our offering if the ushers would come forward. Um, But there's a place on your Connect card. Um, If there's a way that we can pray for you, and you might not use this time to write out uh, specifics, but if we can be praying for you, we want to do that and, um, and give some time this morning to do some reflection. If we could go to God in prayer. Oh, loving God, we thank you so much for, uh, for the lives you've given us. And we thank you for the gift of intimacy. And we thank you for our uh, making us sexual beings and uh, the ability to um, connect with uh, others in just uh, unique ways. I just, God, I just thank you for the time and space as your church to talk about this, uh, no matter how uncomfortable it may make us. Uh, God, I pray that each and every beloved child of yours in this room today understand and know just how deeply they are loved by you, by how much you love them, how much you care for them, how cherished and valuable they are because of who and whose they are. God, we worship you today because we are fearfully and wonderfully made by your hands each one of us designed for something unique and beautiful in this world. And God, we, we thank you for that and we ask for your forgiveness in ways that we have messed up. Give us the grace to forgive ourselves. So often we just, uh, we, we burden ourselves with, uh, with just the regret. And God, I just ask that you wipe that away today. That no matter what we're carrying, that we know that, uh, that you offer forgiveness. And God, Please allow us 
to forgive ourselves. Give us the courage to forgive others who have wronged us in this area. And God, make it clear to us and and give us wisdom to know where we need guardrails in our lives as it relates to our bodies and our minds so that we don't have that regret in the future. Thank you, God, for this day. Thank you for the gift of um, community, for the gift of worship. Uh, for our financial gifts that we, as we give them this morning, God, we pray that you continue. We know you're using them. We pray that you continue to use them in your kingdom. We ask all these things in the beautiful name of Jesus. Amen.